Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fanatsu. Uh, today we have a special guest, um, Mr. Uh, Larry Regatol. He is a master navigator from uh, YAP. And uh, before we get started, once again, I'm Albert. Jesse Chargaloff. Just Jesse Chargaloff and Mr. Larry Regatol. Yep. All right. So, just some uh, housekeeping. We do have, um, once again, you could uh, support us um, with our uh, three tiers. Our Hudsa tier is uh, $1 more a month. Um, and uh, that goes again to um, the fine equipment that we have here and expanding um, our technology on our, our equipment in that matter. And then our Hugo tier is our radical uh, history, and that's $10 or more a month. And you will be blessed with the Sinyat Meget Bavako is a beautiful voice and hair. It's a duo there. And then for our Tulu tier, it's a $15 or more a month. And then you will get radical readings. Um, and that's again uh, provided by uh, Sinyat uh, Michael Bavako, right? And so, also my favorite. Um, <laughs> oh, and then we also have a Jesse. You get to get uh, put on our favorite um, a WhatsApp chat for critical thinking and discussion as well. Definitely. If you join the two tier. Definitely. Yes. My favorite aspect of the game. Yes, definitely. And uh, all right. So uh, again, once again, we we do have a special guest today, uh, Mr. Uh, Larry here, and he's here to share with us his um, knowledge on uh, climate change, on traditional uh, seafaring and navigation, navigational practices. And uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and um, talk to Mr. Larry. <laughs> well, um, good Sunday, good afternoon, Albert. Thank you, Jesse, uh, for inviting me to be here today. Uh, so as uh, I was introduced, my name is Larry Regatal. I come from a very small island, uh, Lama Trek. Uh, it's about 500 some miles south uh, east of Guam. Uh, the island is uh, roughly one and a half square mile long with a little over 200 people there. And that is where I grew up uh, at least a portion of my life before I left and go further my education. I'm very happy and very uh, grateful to you guys to be here today. Um, I think in most of the uh, talks that I've, I've done, it's always, uh, uh, in my experience, a whole lot better when we, when we have a conversation. So there's a Q&A session or whatnot, but uh, before that, perhaps maybe I should just say a little bit about what I do and the things that I've uh, come to learn, right? So um, I currently now, aside from teaching this uh, six-week course here at the University of Guam, I run a nonprofit organization in Yap called Wage. And so Wage is an organization that I help co-founded uh, nearly 10 years ago. And our mission at the organization there is to work with uh, the elders to do skill transfer uh, to the younger generation. Uh, skills transfer skills and knowledge, uh, the indigenous uh, skills and knowledge. So 
uh, from canoe building to fish trap making to maybe perhaps sophisticated uh, fields in, in celestial navigation. Uh, and so we've been doing that for all these years, uh, teaching the younger people. Part of the reason, actually most of the reason why we started this organization is that because I have had my opportunity to uh, visit the outside world. I was um, educated, my, my university days was in the Bay Area. Uh, so I spent the four years in, in the Bay Area learning uh, formal uh, learning. And then I also found myself in Europe uh, and then eventually coming back and work uh, for our government in Pompeii for more than a decade also. And then one day, I guess I decided I was going to go back home. Uh, and I've always wanted to return back so that I can uh, once again pick up from where I left off in terms of learning uh, most of this indigenous knowledge that I saw was slowly uh, fading out or dying out. And I think in my uh, at the beginning of this this century, that I think early 2000 was when I moved back to Yap from Ponape, and to my uh, uh, surprise, I saw that uh, our population. Uh, when I say our population, I'm referring to the outer island people, uh, who are more or less like the Carolinians or the Caroline. Uh, islands uh, that that lies in between Chuk and Yap, but for us in Yap, I was I was shocked to see that uh, that our number of of people uh, moving to the center was growing steadily uh, and actually very quickly too. In 2004, I believe uh, Yap. Uh, state was struck by a super typhoon Sudal and right after immediately after the storm there was a huge uh, surge of our outer island community in the center and I think we're you know as I watch the our community grow I, I see that a good perhaps maybe the primary reason is for us moving there so that we can we can experience the new ways. We can uh, um, participate in the cash economy and all that that, that comes with it. Uh, but and of course, you know, so medical reasons and educations are, have always been some of the reasons why we moved and continue to do so. But as I see this change and this uh, inward migration from these uh, remote areas coming into the urban or the center, in this case, Yap, um, can't help but to think that there's maybe going to be even more bigger problems down the road that is going to be uh, forcing people to move from low-lying atolls to the center. And here clearly uh, is that of the environment in which we live on these islands. 
when you're only six inches or six feet the highest point on your island, maybe six feet above sea level, there's really nowhere else for you to go. <laughs> if the island should start to uh, to sink or to get submerged by uh, the rising seas. Um, and so that's that's really kind of like the background to to us starting this nonprofit organization was that okay, as people are moving to the center, there's more and more of us moving in than there is us moving out. So that trend is steady and it's moving. And so while maybe now we have a choice, I think much later on, maybe we won't have a choice because mm -hmm. those islands um, will no longer be above water. And I think even before they're submerged, uh, they're going to be rendered useless to and uninhabitable because of conditions like the thin waterlands or saltwater intrusion into the taro patches. So a lot more challenges are going to be making it very difficult for us to to live on those islands. Now, I know that in, in us moving to the center, we run the risk of, of uh, losing also a big part of uh, uh, our, of our identity and who we are and that would be the culture. So right now, even as I as we live in Yap, I get to see young uh, newborn generation that are born there. Um, you know, being raised in a different environment than what we're normally raised in in the in the remote outer islands. So they don't get to spend time in the canoe houses for young boys or spend time in the tar patches for young girls and and do all other uh, indigenous knowledge that have been uh, passed on for centuries yeah. i had the opportunity to observe that to learn from it uh, and even now the, the these remote other islands still do that is we still practice our indigenous ways of living but in the center, uh, that's different. And it, I think the preference now of the, uh, the younger generation seem to be uh, more leaning toward the conveniency of, of uh, technology and, and what else, whatever else that is available that makes the work easier for them. Uh, so I, I think that's why, um, well, that is exactly why we started that group is really to allow for, uh, to kind of recreate, if you will, recreate the, the lifestyle in these small, uh, tiny atolls that depend entirely on subsistence living. Uh, so one of the the common name that is referred to people from the Carolines, us, uh, is known as the Remetau, which if you translate, uh, it means uh, people from the ocean. And I think it makes sense that we be called the people from the ocean who live uh, our lives in, in the ocean, so to speak, because we're only so much, you know, 
just six feet is the highest, but most of our lives depend, we depend heavily on what the ocean has to provide for us. Um, so that's recreating that in the center and teaching the younger people uh, how to do that. But as we're doing this, you know, the, the other thing that I've also come to see and observe is that uh, every chance I have to go back home uh, and spend time on Lamatric, uh, physical changes have been taking place. Uh, you know, the coastal area has been washed off, continuously being eroded. So there's something happening. Uh, we can all witness it, we can all see it aside from uh, coastal erosion or saltwater intrusion into our taro patches. We get frequent storms, un unexpected storms. In fact, now as we speak, one is just, you know, mm -hmm. around in our neighborhood. Uh, and luckily for us here in Guam, it just kind of scrimmaged the, our, uh, the, you know, part of this world. But it's it seemed to be, and I think everybody can attest to that, that there is, there is more and more uh, frequent damaging storms uh, that if you go further in, you would understand that our, uh, so for example, our celestial navigation practices and knowledge also has ways of, of uh, telling us uh, weather patterns or storm uh, patterns, so to speak, so that we use those uh, techniques and those knowledge to to uh, kind of help us determine forging days and not whatnot. But more and more, that seemed to be kind of uh, getting a bit more complicated than, than it was. <clears throat> so you've got a number of stars, which we refer to them as the stars when they set and rise, or uh, that should bring in a westerly wind or easterly wind or uh, rain or, you know, all of this. Uh, so we have them all throughout the year. And, uh, you know, this month should tell us, okay, this is the star that should be fighting, so to speak, uh, or it's gonna fall, uh, and therefore we're gonna stir up some weather. Uh, then uh, we should expect calmness this time or, you know, but, but then, that's not jiving anymore with what's happening uh, in, you know, in our part of the world. So something is changing, you know, from weather patterns, from all of these physical appearances. But I think the bigger part of it too for us is that while these things are changing, you know, the, for us from these small islands, I think the biggest challenge is the eventual relocation of a community settlement because their islands are no longer, uh, you know, capable for them to live on. Mm -hmm. And and so in that relocation of, I think they may even have a term, climate change refugees or whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's happening. Mm -hmm. It's happening in this part of the world. You know, Kiribati and Tuvalu and these islands 
are kind of like known on the map because and the marshals because you're referring to countries, right? But for us in the Micronesia part, you know, we we are forever some. For example, when they, when you think of it, you're thinking of Panape, Kushai, Chuk, and and Yap with higher mountains. But don't forget that in between those islands, the, like the Caroline Islands, they are no different than Tuvalu and Kiribati, and you know. Uh, low-lying atolls feeling the same kind of impact of climate change. Uh, the, the, at least the one uh, thing that I notice, at least for us in this Northwestern Pacific, is that you know maybe these small islands, the atolls still kind of like practice the indigenous ways of living from canoe building to navigation to um, whatever that had been there from for thousands of years, they are now at the risk of being forever lost if you remove these people to a different place. And it's happening. And, and so partially, I think for me, not, not partially, but mainly for me, that's, that's my concern and that's my interest is to work with our community to ensure that even if we relocate to higher lands, that at least we retain some of this cultural uh, and indigenous knowledge and practices that are at the end of the day, uh, define who we are as a people. And so they're our uh, true identity. Mm. Um, and, and so here I am now at the University of Guam. I did uh, last summer and now again this time uh, doing this in the hope of of spreading this message to people like Jesse, to others who have that burning desire to to look at ways how um, we've been on these islands, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because I think it, it, you know we all have to come to understand that the. The westernization and globalizations of this part of the world that just came yesterday. Uh, our ancestors who lived on these islands lived for thousands of years and they knew exactly how they're, um, they're going to sustain themselves. Um, so I think that's also the beauty of it in my own experience. Because I've also had the opportunity to participate in in uh, international conferences with that when I was still in the government, mm -hmm. and and as I attend these conferences, I realize like wow, a good the message that I'm hearing seemed to be the same message that I heard from grand grandfathers and uh, elders that that told us there is a reason why. You should, you should uh, do it this way. You know, you should not uh, over harvest the fish because there is season for it. Mm -hmm. You should not um, cut down trees just for the sake of uh, building your canoes because there are floating logs that would come around and you can use those. You know? <clears throat> so in other words, theirs was all about sustainability 
And so in the 21st century or 20th century, this world started talking about concept like sustainability. But in my mind, I'm like, but we knew that. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been doing. It had always been about sustainability. It's, it's never like, uh, and so I shared with Jesse in my class, like one of the things that I think, uh, I like to kind of call it like our code of honor, if you like, for us in this part of the world, mm -hmm. was, was the idea of, of um, placing the importance of your island and then your clan and then your, you know, elders and uncles and families and brothers and sisters. And at the very bottom of it is yourself. Because you, you, you have this hierarchy where you, you, you need to respect this whole chain. And it all goes back to this island, right? Um, and if you translate that into actions, it, it means like, at least from my own appearance, uh, um, when I was growing up, it was all about having that greatest respect, not just for my father, my mother, my uncles, but even more so to the island itself, because it means a lot more than yeah. Now you can, you can, when I went to get further my education, I began to see that that system was reversed pretty much. Mm -hmm. It's all about individualism. It's all about your status. And at the very bottom, maybe you don't even have an island, but you see, it's important to have your island because your feet are solidly planted on a solid ground and you can identify and relate to it. And, I, and, I, and to me, that was like the fundamental importance of having. Um, so yeah, this kind of stuff I share with, with my class and you see just like, okay, you know, there's more, um, more to just us running as an individual. We have this society, this community, and we have these islands. And if we don't uh, take care of them, then who will? Maybe nobody will. Uh, so so I, I, I'd like to kind of like leave it there as sort of like the, yeah. the background to our, but I, I prefer that we kind of have a discussion and, and questions if, I mean, I could yeah, no, go not, on, no, talk sure on, but, could, yeah, yeah, but. but it's great, man. Like, um, we're very appreciative that um, I'm very fortunate to have taken, you know, your first class last year and then in this advanced class, if I can call it that, um, this semester. And um, yeah, just very fortunate to, to have those that on my transcript and also to learn, you know, just that although we've learned so much already through your classes that we're only scratching the surface of what indigenous knowledge has to offer for us, you know, in regards to sustainability and understanding, you know, the plight of those outer islands. And so I'm very fortunate to, to have that and to experience this. And we're very fortunate here at UOG that we're kind of taking that turn, you know, taking that turn towards indigenous knowledge and, you know, not just totally based upon a, the Western standard of what education should be for our children, you know, 
a lot of people here suffer from all kinds of social issues, substance abuse, or just, you know, poverty. Mm. And, um, you know, I learned in these classes that it's really a, a therapeutic um, answer to these problems when you're really learning and connecting with the land and, you know, what we do. Like, yeah, some people say, you know, there's nothing a good day of grappling can cure it. <laughs> and it's, this applies so, it's so relevant to what we do here. Right. There's nothing a good right. day of indigenous learning can, you know, can cure it. Mm -hmm. And it's really great to have just discovered that only in the past few weeks, mm -hmm. really, you know, to really get down to what it can really do for our people and um, our sense of community rather than just that cutthroat individualism that we've been trained to to you know to grow up and to be oh, definitely and and this and the this connection of community i think uh, a really beautiful example of that was um when we met in hawaii mm -hmm. at um the conference right? right um you were there and you were presenting on climate change uh and you were also um showing the pandana cell that was right. woman right, right? Mm -hmm. but, and yeah. I, I think if um if i'm not mistaken um it was a 95 year old woman who um, exactly. I did I did forget her name I do apologize but I'm gonna Maria post it up on for our our viewers uh, we do have a picture so um, the picture that we are showing on the Facebook live right now is a picture of the cell um, the banana cell that was mm -hmm. woman by um, in Maria India, yeah. yeah by Maria and um, it was it was through her knowledge that they were able to mm -hmm. leave that, right? If you could give us a little background story on that, just. Yeah, well, yeah, so so that was a, a project that we did uh, in 2016. If you recall, uh, Guam uh, was the host of the Pacific Art Festival uh, 2016. And so in our effort to kind of promote uh, what we what we do at the our organization, we aimed at um, you know aside from carving canoes uh, to have a voyage up to Guam for the Festpac 2016, and so we were able to do that. We uh, we voyaged up here, uh, attend the Festpac 2018, but we didn't just voyage up here. We actually brought with us these uh, pandanus sail. And the, the um, thinking behind that was that, okay, we're gonna go and share part of our culture in Guam with the rest of the Pacific who are here to, to share culture. But even more so, we're gonna share our culture and voyaging there, but highlight our own people supplied about this this thing called climate change mm -hmm. because we are a small group of people who have the risk of now being wiped out from the face of the planet mm -hmm. uh, should you know climate change continues and we understand it is mm -hmm. so how are we going to do this so we thought okay maybe one way of doing it is to actually um, have a woven bandana sail mm -hmm. and inscribe on that inscribe on that bandana sail some kind of message that speaks into that issue of climate change mm -hmm. and furthermore to have the whole entire community uh, signed an autograph 
this sale mm-hmm. and hopefully we could find the support to get the sale from Guam after FESPAC mm-hmm. and and sail it as you know as you know so have it have it sail around the world so to speak yeah and come back <clears throat> you know Micronesian canoes were single hull canoes mm-hmm. just like the flying pros here and <clears throat> we could probably uh, decide to build larger Suckmans and, and Caroline, uh, Carolinian canoes and voyage around the world. Uh, but it's going to be a very difficult, challenging uh, thing for us to do mm-hmm. for many reasons. You know, So we thought, okay, let's just have the sail go on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe on a on a flying metal plane, you know, instead of on a canoe <laughs> and on ships. So we've we've yeah. been fortunate. It's gone around. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you, when we were in Hawaii, we were very fortunate to have it displayed there. Uh, it went to the Ocean Conference at the United Nations in New York. Yeah. Uh, then it went to the uh, to be displayed at the G20 summit in Hamburg. Uh, now it's in Sydney, so it's eventually making its way around mm-hmm. and getting some message and that message out. But to the point of you know having that skill being transferred, yeah. that was an amazing thing, even for us, because mm-hmm. you know for for years now we've been it, we've been of course uh, um, visited by yachts or the yacht boat mm-hmm. and you know, occasionally they would then give us this Tecron sales, you know, the new materials mm-hmm. uh, that have been left, you know, that, that that we could use. And so while we're still building our canoes and still sailing them, the sale has changed because mm-hmm. we now found that this Tecron sale made of foreign materials is easier to work with because it's lighter, but and so we kind of put a hold on the pandana sail, mm-hmm. uh, thinking that we still have it. Well, we were fortunate that at that time, Maria was still alive. Yeah. And she was probably one of, if not the last person on the island who knew that. And, you know, within weeks of her transferring that skill, she passed on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. out of that, we now have so many more women who are able to uh, to weave the pandana silk, definitely. And the, and and you know one interesting aspect too that it's probably worth mentioning mm-hmm. is that that particular pandana silk that is going around uh, the world now for us is woven from certain kind of pandanas. Wow! Uh, because you know you you have. Pandanas that you weave mats and you weave sails. And this pandanas, uh, specific pandanas that was used for, it's mostly for, in, even in those days, they use it. Uh, it always been like um, this, we call it mang. Mang is the pandanas name for us. And so when we say mang and luta, it's a pandanas that came from the island of Rhoda. Um, and so we refer to our pandanus sails 
woven by the Mahon Luta, which is from from north of Guam. Mm-hmm. So again, it just shows like yeah, how intertwined and how interlinked these islands were centuries ago, mm-hmm. uh, long before Magellan or whoever came. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we someone voiced up and said, okay, the flying sacraments have much better solid pandanas than Manganluta. So we started to transplant that that pandanas and start growing it there and up to, to this day it's become like the most commonly used because it's very solid and I believe the reference to Manganluta means the pandanus sale from uh, from Rhoda. From that's very yeah, So that was, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And also, we had a question from one of our viewers, and you're already touching upon it. Um, what other roles did women have in, you know, yeah. in, you know, just, I guess, perpetuating indigenous knowledge in general? And like, how do these roles maybe differ across different islands around? So, yeah, I think that the, in, I'm even, I, I would even, risk it and say that for the most part I think women have across the board a very similar uh, because I mean the reality is like okay man your domain is this and in our case let me speak about the Carolinas our domain is the ocean because that's where we go and fetch the food for the women meaning the fish and the women, vice versa, they their domain is the land, and they fetch the food for the men. Mm-hmm. See, so, very much the same. In, in yeah, so I would think most. that for most of yes. us, it has always been this. That's you know because because clearly for us men, we uh, go out into the ocean to fish and harvest for the women. So we we have to use the crafts and we build the canoes and we. But we also depend that on women to to play their role in allowing for that function to be carried out. The role is very, yeah. very dependent. Upon yeah, the clearly, you know, bandana sail. The men don't weave that; the right. women do. If you're going to voyage longer distance, well, you're going to depend on some food or provisions of your canoe to get out, mm. and the women have to prepare that for you, right? Uh, and also while you're working on that process from building from the scratch, you know, from beginning all the way to the end, it's women who provide the energy for the men. And, and it's, it's like, you know, the energy that I speak of doesn't necessarily have to be just food. Right, right, right. Because it, it also entails all other forms of, so for women coming down and just sitting and chanting and singing to a bunch of men carving a canoe mm-hmm. gives that energy. Yes. <clears throat> and it empowers them to do it, you know. Um, You're so, explaining, sorry, sorry. Yeah, You're explaining also um, recently that uh, as the children grow up, it would most likely be the, the female children who would enter the canoe house exactly. before the yeah. house. So yeah, that's, that, that is true because, you know, they in those days when, when, uh, when, the father goes to the canoe house to work with his colleagues and hang around. He takes his young girl there, leave the young boy to stay home 
And so the girl go there and observe and uh, to a certain age, yeah. you know. I'm told, you know, girls are just better well-behaved than, <laughs> than the young rascal who's going to end up in the canoe house and probably end up, uh, you know, picking up uh, ads and cut himself or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the exposure had always been like, okay, for you young boys, you hang around at home, stay with mom, learn some house drawers for girls, go down with your fathers and yeah. yeah but yeah and as far as the role of women even though it's clear that you know they they their domain is the land and ours is the ocean there is crisscrossing kind of responsibilities that that depend on each other to, to if that makes sense yes that makes perfect sense <laughs> yeah, <that's clears throat> yeah so I, I um one of the one of our patrons also too is mentioning that um, I guess April 27, um, a group of Pacific Islanders in the Bay Area where, where you went mm -hmm. to school um, will be offering a teaching on climate ch change from the perspective perspective of Native Pacific Islanders. And she was you know, wondering if there was one message maybe that you would like that group to focus on regarding climate change. like. And I'm sure you already touched upon those, those aspects. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I think that's a very good question because I can relate to the period. Yes. And in fact, if there is a place that uh, I was most familiar with, it, it had to be outside of my own realm, and especially in the U.S., it had to be the Bay Area because, you know, for four years I was, I was living there. I, I sort of like became someone from there, really, you know. And I enjoyed the Bay Area because of what it, you know, actually the funny story was like when I finished high school and I was debating whether I was going to go to Los Angeles or San Francisco uh, because I got accepted to do different universities. Mm -hmm. And San Francisco just called out because I was a die-hard crazy 49ers fan of those things. That's, that made the call for me, so I had to go. This was Joe Montana, Jerry Rice wow. time. So I get to like, and I'm like, well, you know, still it's in California, so it's Northern California, it must be warm. I was wrong, Santa Bay area is really cold. Uh, but anyways, to the question of like, you know, if there's anything that a message to share with with, from the Pacific perspective to the to the area. Well, <clears throat> I think that, uh, that for me, I, as someone who is a Pacific Islander and lived in the Bay Area, I, I was very grateful for that experience, right? Because I get to see stuff that kind of just throws me off. Yeah. It threw me off when I went there. Skyscrapers down on Market Street, was very strange. Homeless people sitting around on Market Street was was unacceptable to me in those days. I just couldn't fathom a lot of these changes, right? That made me actually realize like, wow, there is great stuff at home, you know? Why is this guy sitting on the street of San Francisco begging for food or money? Where is his father or his mother or his siblings? That doesn't happen in the islands, you know? I mean, at least from where I come, like I couldn't understand why that was happening. And then, you know, seeing all the changes, but, but at the same time, I would, every uh, 
every Sundays I'm out in the Golden State Park at the Panhandle just rollerblading around you know it's like enjoying that environment in san francisco it's beautiful like i mean, just yeah i don't know if you've been to san francisco maybe you have but no, I it's an awesome place i mean of all places yeah. i i loved it because it's despite the i got used to the cold a little bit but despite all the things that I, i'm mentioning it was a place that i also felt like okay there is there's the ocean mm-hmm. you know there's there's a uh, Panhandle. There's the Golden Golden State Park, and there's the Golden Gate Bridge, and I could cross over. So it had that Pacific touch to it, if you, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I think that's also that's also why I kind of was able to endure the four years in San Francisco was because some there's aspect a, of home. That, some aspect of home and the international feeling of like seeing Pacific Islanders and seeing Asians and and that made me feel like okay this I can I can uh, and of course San Francisco 49ers were pretty good pretty good in those days right Uh, yeah the message to me for that conference if I have one it's like you know I I think San Francisco has a lot to offer uh, from Pacific point of you know the perspective Mm -hmm. but at the same time you know it's it's a you know, for those that are going to be doing this conference, they they need to to understand that us here in this part of the northwestern Pacific, Guam and, and all these islands, we are uh, we are at risk. Yeah, you know, we are really at risk. We're. I mean, I'm. Reason I'm wearing this is because. The typhoon, uh, super typhoon now, right? Mm-hmm. What's the name of that? Utip is was is not too, you know, kind of like cruise along south uh, of Mariso last night. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing more frequent storms. Last two months ago, or when Saipan was hit, mm-hmm. and Tinian, mm-hmm. and and even a little before that, Rhoda. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the typhoon belt that we're at and we're just like being hammered and I think we're going to continue to be and then on top of it you know there's all other sorts of challenges coming our way and if there is a message to share to the world it's like hey for us I think maybe we put in the least of carbon dioxide to impact this thing but we're going to be the first to to uh, get feel the brunt of this because uh, of someone else's action and behaviors. Uh, you know, the world preaches about sustainability. Well, they need to understand that, yeah, our ancestors who lived on these islands for thousands of years mastered that. They knew that. Mm-hmm. And they've been preaching it. So, uh, I don't know. That's To yeah. me, that's just like, if someone asked me the other day, what are you most worried about with uh, and I and I said, well, yeah, you know, I worry about the fact that my island will be sinking and maybe our people will be migrating mm-hmm. um, and moving to center. And the worst part is us losing our culture, at least for generations to come. Mm-hmm. But the biggest worry I have is people from the industrialized world. I worry too much about them because I think when 
push comes to shove and if this world, this whole planet is just going to be, I worry about them because I don't think they will survive. I think Islanders will survive. Uh, I get to the first time I saw the, the series, television series of survival, it made me laugh like, holy cow, man, my nephew, six year old can, can do stuff like Keep the <laughs> you, you can't even catch that fish. I mean, but, but you know, the fact is when it comes in my own experience, Islanders can still do things with their hands. We can still fetch food with our hands. Uh, we can still live without electricity and run water and stuff. But I think in the heavily industrialized part of this world, including San Francisco, I think people have a difficult time. Mm -hmm. uh, just cut off the power plants for two weeks or three weeks, you will see that there is going to be chaos and, and there is going to be a so I will conclude with because our uh, organization is named Wage, mm -hmm. and just you know, so what Wage means future uh, in one part of our language, the Caroline mm -hmm. or the Carolinian, but in the Yap state, the Yap main island, Wage means chaos, complete chaos. Wow. So I've got I played with the word that yeah, it's good because this word is dying, Wage. Very, the older people are the one using it, which could mean future. But then if you go to the other part of the upstate, it means complete chaos. So to me, I like it because the only, the only way you can have a complete chaotic future is if you lose your culture, hence your identity. You know, that, that's, that's how I like to put it. It's like, we have one from Michael Medio Garcia. He is our Patreon. He is asking, um, going switching over to navigation. Um, he's asking, is it easier and is it easier navigating in the daytime or at night? What kind of astronomical knowledge do you utilize in navigation? So I think um, a lot of. Uh, People would automatically think it's it's easier whether to navigate at night because you get to see the stars and but it's not so much that I think you know you remember that when you're uh, so there's a whole string of other things right that affiliated with the celestial navigation but let's just talk about navigation because the question is on that you know yes at night you get to see stars but that doesn't mean during the day. You, you don't see any other elements that will help you aid navigation. Mm -hmm. So for us in our own traditional navigation, you know, you've got the sun, you've got the wave patterns, you've got birds, you've got all other, uh, and then not, not to mention that there are also from generations past, there are also other uh, sea creatures, even from whales to dolphins to even like unusual creatures that you would normally not see them far out in the ocean mm -hmm. that if you should spot them and they actually have names we have we have names for these things you know so they're uh, identified uh, 
And, you know, these are knowledge of the past. So we use those two to assist us. So my name, Ragatel, is actually referred to two small sharks somewhere out in this Pacific Ocean. I know where the locations is, is estimated to be, um, but I have never found them. You know, maybe that's my mission in life is to go and search for for mining because they're out there. That said, I think that with the changes of the environment and with more frequent fishing boat catching up all kinds of uh, fish in the ocean, who knows, maybe some of these are no longer in existence. But, uh, uh, you know, from time to time, we keep an eye out on those when we voyage. Wow. Uh, at night, of course, you know, you get... In fact, I think navigating during the day, for me personally, is easier than at night because conditions of our canoes are such that you've got to stay on watch, you've got to watch, you've got to see. And during the day, you get to see, you know, all the movement and everything. But at night, you just run risk of, you know, anything happening at night that that uh, might cause even bigger problems for you. I don't know if that answers the question, but so, yeah, we use stars and suns and waves and current and whatnot. He's, he's a stinky. Michael says stinky. Um, let's go through some comments. Okay. So this is one comment from uh, Michael Babakwa. And maybe you guys can share your thoughts on it if you want. He says, one of my frustrations is that in some circles in Guam, people think about climate change from Fox News as a generic American perspective. They share the post that says it's cold in the States and therefore global warming is a hoax and forget that they live in an island. Around us, other islands are preparing for the impacts of climate change. And for me, um, this is just another way to perceive our colonization. We imagine ourselves to be physically connected to the U.S. Therefore, we don't have to worry about island-specific issues. Do you guys find that relatable or true? I think, um, you know, like those cold fronts that are passing the U.S. just um, reflect like maybe how climate change is perpetuating like instability, you know, not to say that um, the weather patterns aren't dynamic already as usual, but like those just point out, you know, more towards that, you know, global warming is happening because of the unstable weather patterns that we're seeing now. And as Larry mentioned earlier, like, the unstable, you know, water wave patterns and weather patterns that we're also seeing in the Pacific, not necessarily, you know, too cold or too hot, it's that things are changing. Yeah. Albert, do you have any comments? Oh, no, uh, no, definitely. I think, um, I think it's really, you know, from definitely what Larry shared earlier about the hierarchy of, of really placing your island, you are last, you know, that individualistic um, notion as being last and your island is first, you know, we could really, um, we could really uh, change our perspective on really what climate change is, uh, how we address climate change at, on, a, on a, our scale as a Pacific Islanders, um, as definitely, you know, um, yes, we will see it on the news because the news is going to be there, the TV is going to be there, but for us to realize, well, okay, if that's happening there, you know, what are some things that I'm seeing here on the island that's, that's definitely changing? And, um, how are we, what are some roles that we can take up to address that? You know, and, and, uh, and taking off from there, Albert, I think, you know, for 
people in Guam. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, strongly affiliated with the U.S. Mm-hmm. and, you know, television is around. Mm-hmm. But my suggestion is just like, well, just take a moment to to go outside and just feel the things around you, you know. Don't just sit in the uh, air-conditioned room all the time. Just get out and, and experience that nature because I think you will see over time, even if it's just like, you know, aside from frequent storms that are coming and unexpected, I think people in, on this island should should now know that, you know, this, these are the heat that comes around after that, you know, it's, there are clear indications of climate change happening and geographically, Guam, even though affiliated with the United States, is thousands of miles away from California and it's in the Pacific and it's part of this world. Mm-hmm. It's part of us, it's, we're part of it and we should be feeling the same kind of climate. This. Fox can go on and say climate change is a hoax, but I, I am one who will jump and say, well, if you really wanna say that climate change is a hoax, hoax then come and live with us. Mm-hmm. Come and sail on our canoes and come and understand why these things have changed that we don't see in those days before. Mm-hmm. And and give us the scientific explanation of it, because I can tell you that that uh, from our ancestral explanation of it, it's contradictory to what we've been taught, whether it's in celestial navigation, it's in understanding the concept, you know, the trees. It doesn't jive. It doesn't, there is something that is strange that is causing this. And yes, we don't have the scientific explanation of it, but for those who claim that it's an hoax, come and explain to us why it's like this, because we, we don't know. Um, thanks a lot, Larry, for that message. It was great, man. Thanks for being here today. Yeah. And- a pleasure and a great time to always hang around. Yes. See you guys and uh, good luck in uh, whatever you're doing. <laughs> Almost happy hour. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> again, we just want to um, remind our, our our viewers and our listeners that uh, again, you could uh, definitely support the cause or support us um, um, by signing up on patreon.com slash fanatsu. Um, and the, with the three tiers, you're able to really um, submerse yourself in, in cultural knowledge and um, really uh, entering that space of uh, regaining your identity and yourself, right? So thank you again, uh, Larry, for joining us today. And we we're so happy that you, know, you came by and um, we wish you definitely the best. And Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. All right. Adios. 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 Thank you.